was a few weeks before Christmas. Steampunk Link was quite sad, because the year 2020 had been extraordinarily bad. I've got to do something to make this year brighter, and things on notes a little bit lighter. Perhaps write a song, a new Christmas jingle, or script out some skits about old man Kris Kringle. Carolers, orchestras, sleigh bells, a crackling fire. Never before had podcast productions been higher. No, wait, this is silly. I don't have the cash, not to mention the spare time to throw such a bash. All of these ideas would end in disasters. But maybe I can collaborate with some fellow podcasters. We can share pleasant memories of holidays past. And he took to Twitter to assemble his cast. Friends old and new heeded the plea. The warmth of their stories filled him with glee. Perhaps they couldn't redeem this whole crummy year, but maybe the stories could spread holiday cheer. So settle back and enjoy. We hope you'll have fun. As for the musical numbers... Maybe in 2021? Emmy, Link, thanks for having me on your holiday snestacular. For everyone else, this is Greg from the Downtown Kent, Washington Retro Emporium. I have a great holiday memory. A friend of mine, uh, he was a, an exchange student. He had come to stay with my family, actually my uncle, who lived down the street and, uh, and his family. But uh, we were close in grades and hung out like ridiculous amounts of time. Uh, he was really big into Formula One racing and uh, F1 pole position was coming out in 19. 1993 December. He was super excited and super jacked to be able to be in the States and pick up a copy to bring home later that year. So we we did the whole like camping type thing in KB's waiting and waiting to go to KB to go pick up a copy of this game. Uh, that was when you had to like point at the case and uh, tell them that's the one you wanted. They or take the card and then get that and then the guy would go and unlock it and he was super excited uh the sad part was is that uh for three weeks until my buddy Derek came home uh we did not have a system to play on because neither of us had a super nintendo to play it was all uh reliant on on a friend of mine who lived down the street to to be able to play on a Super Nintendo because uh, I, I didn't have one and neither did Aldo except for back home in Brazil. So we just sat there looking at this F1 pole position. If memory serves me correct, it was at that point uh, I had no real excitement about racing games. They were they were fun, I think. This is one of those times where I let somebody guide me into their own their own fandom, if, uh, if you will. Uh, he was really into racing and really into this, uh, this whole culture. And this was a game where he was super excited because you could actually do a lot of modifications on your car and other things like that, where you couldn't do that in other games. You played other games. Uh, if you played pole position on the Atari, uh, it was like you just drive the car around the track. And this was a, a game where there was all these different things you could do that were totally new and exciting for anyone that's that's into this kind of gameplay to watch somebody just geek out 
over all the different things you could do, customize different types of tracks and other stuff like that. I I was just blown away. We played that game quite often. Uh, a lot of the times it was waiting for everyone else to get tired of like Street Fighter or something else on the Super Nintendo that they were playing and then finally like be able to get the card in, play some F1. It was definitely one of those times where just letting someone else literally take the wheel, if you will, and, and let them guide you into their passion and, and see you know, how fun something else can be. And actually, like, honestly, it's kind of guided me a lot into some of the games that I do enjoy. I, I'd like to sit down and play some racing games now. It's one of those things where it wasn't, it wouldn't have been something I would have picked up if I had the, if I had a system at the time, I wouldn't have gone out and picked this up. And all because Aldo wanted to go and buy this so he could take it home. And oddly, oddly enough, like, you don't realize how, like, why would he want to buy this game here in America? Because the price of a game in Brazil, it was ridiculously expensive. And to be able to like walk into a store and just point at it and get it, kind of unheard of. I have family in Brazil and have uh, been there. It is it is a very different, different place. And I can only imagine in the 90s, a very different, different place. Uh, so for him to be able to just like walk in and, and pick it up was like even like more of an experience. This one has a place in my heart and totally reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> some weird moment in my my sophomore year in high school uh hanging out with my my new buddy and just like kicking back and playing this until like the wee hours of the morning thanks a lot for letting me share that with you and hopefully if if this is something that no one has put into their into their game wheelhouse check it out and uh and have some fun with it it's it's kind of cool there's some some kind of fun stuff into it and if you like mario kart on the 64 and you like a, a little sneaky path and stuff like that on some of those tracks there are definitely some of those uh weird glitches in here too so it's always a fun thing to find so check that out if you have played it you know what i'm talking about i'm not gonna spoil it for you so Again, thanks for having me on this holiday snestacular. It's been a trip down memory lane, and uh, I'm glad to be part of it. If you want, people can find me at my podcast, Nerds from the Crypt, which I do with my buddy Saul, or the Funny Book Forensics, which I do with my buddy Dan. Both of them are on the Spoilerverse, home of the Spoilerverse podcast, and all those other podcasts that they host. Or come see me at the Retro Emporium in Kent, Washington. Jingle jangle, everybody. Welcome to Snescapades, the holiday special. We're just going to be listening to stories today. We're going to be listening to folks' stories from other podcasts who were uh, gracious enough to come on the show. And the, the two of us, we're going to be talking about our stories as well and just sipping on some hot cocoa in this uh, winter cabin that we've uh, rented for the weekend. Um, and, and that's it. Uh, I'm Steve Punk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And uh, yeah, I am just so excited about this. And I'm, I'm so excited by the the stories that that we have to share and all the response we got to this from from other folks in the, the podcasting community. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm kicking back. I'm in a uh, I'm in a recliner next to the fire. Uh, I've got my cup of boozy eggnog here, uh, along with my hot chocolate. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just very excited for all of this and so happy that you've all decided to join us for this our very first holiday special yeah yeah i've um i just got a mug of coffee here but you know I, i've started doing something a little bit interesting with my coffee i've started trying to infuse it with flavors and not just like you know pouring flavor into it after it's brewed but like putting like orange zest and a little bit of a cinnamon 
in the coffee grounds and it like infuses it with flavor. And it's really, really good, actually. I was, it works surprisingly well. But anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. We're, we're just talking about what we're drinking because we, we want to encourage you guys to uh, get comfy, sit down by the fire. We're just going to reminisce on holidays past and perhaps present and future. Indeed. Who knows? Uh, maybe we'll just make this another Christmas Carol parody, like, you know, every single holiday special. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, we uh, we sent out some invitations for folks to join us and share their stories, and uh, we, we had several responses and just really wonderful stories. Can't thank everybody enough. Uh, you just heard Greg from Nerds from the Crypt and uh, many other projects uh, that... that that man does a lot of different things. Absolutely. And Greg is a, a friend of the show. He's been on, uh, he was on our very first special, in fact. And um, yeah, it's great, great to hear from him again. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to be hearing from uh, lots of old friends and some new ones today, uh, which I'm super excited about. But anyway, so a lot of folks say that, you know, video games and holidays have some pretty close connections to them and their memories. I mean, it's really no wonder because for a lot of us back in the day, like, you know, we couldn't afford $60 video games on our own. We typically got new video games when it was either our birthday or when it was Christmas time. Yeah. It's no surprise that this would be, uh, you know, such a heavily linked thing is in our heads, even though there really aren't a lot of Christmas themed games outside of like maybe Home Alone, which, yeah. Those aren't great. Not a great one. There is also a horrible game based on the Jim Carrey Grinch movie and a very bad Game Boy Advance game based on Elf. Those are things that exist. Oh, and um, a really bad game based on the Polar Express, uh, which is a horrible movie that I just watched yesterday for the first time. I cannot, cannot recommend it, but also I cannot not recommend it highly enough. Okay, so is that movie really that bad or is it just because the, the computer animation is really creepy it's got a host of terrible things about it beyond the computer animation like take that away and it's still probably one of the worst christmas movies i've ever seen okay fair enough it's incredible eminently worth watching if you want to see the most soulless and unintentionally grim treatment of basically like forcing a child to believe in Santa Claus above anything and everything okay. else that you've All ever right, seen. Fair so incredible, incredible, really. Also, uh, this is just a sidebar about that movie now, I guess. Conspicuously, most of the children in that movie who are the main characters, uh, their voices are done by children. But there is one child who is very conspicuously having their voice done by the actor Eddie Deason, who is an adult actor doing a, an awful, awful, screechy child <laughs> voice. And it is truly upsetting. Was Howie Mandel busy that day? God, right? <laughs> so don't watch that movie, but also definitely watch that movie. Okay. So you know what? While we are talking Christmas movies, let's just make a thing of it for for a little bit. Let's talk Christmas movies. Yeah, sure. What here, Here's a, a conversation I'm always happy to have. What is your favorite portrayal of Santa Claus uh, on film or TV? Like, who is your favorite? It is uh, absolutely the barrel-chested Russian action Santa from the movie Rise of the Guardians. Okay. 
<laughs> I love that movie. It's a really cool, really dynamic hybrid of like a, a really heartfelt Christmas movie and kind of um superhero movie, actually. Yeah, Alec Baldwin doing a, a shockingly good Russian accent plays Saint Nick in that movie. That's my favorite one. It's not a, tr- it's a super traditional Santa, I guess. Um, I also I also like the just perpetually annoyed, rightly annoyed Santa from The Nightmare Before Christmas. What about you? My favorite Santa Claus is unironically the Santa from Ernest Saves Christmas. I love not only the actor's portrayal of uh, Douglas Seal, I believe was his name. Um, the actor has passed away, sadly. But he also, uh, I think, played the Sultan in Aladdin, the, the movie. So I, I love not only his portrayal, but the sort of mythos that they've created for Santa in this, which is that Santa is a regular person who is imbued with magical powers because he is the person who needs to be Santa Claus for however many years. And, and presumably that person does not age during that time, but then at some point has to pass on the role of Santa or he starts to lose the magic or whatever. And so you've got this okay sort of man who's who's used to, you know, things being a certain way back when he was just a regular person and is trying to fumble his way through this world that he's unfamiliar with and trying to get this this person who he thinks is just the perfect guy to be Santa now. He he doesn't have any children himself, but he is a he has to convince him, no, this is the role you were meant to play because you need to be Santa. And he needs to to, you know, remind him why he he started doing that in the first place and to be Santa. Also Ernest is in the movie, but honestly like that that's the least interesting part of it. Doesn't really sound like like uh, Ernest plays much of a part in in the actual arc of this movie from from what you're saying so yeah i'm not gonna say this movie is amazing but it is one of my favorite christmas movies for the good aspects of it okay so that was christmas movies Christmas games. Do you have any games that you associate with Christmas, Emmy? I was thinking about this, and I have some kind of odd picks, honestly. Here's my thing with with Christmas gaming. Um, for the most part, most of my strongest like holiday time gaming memories are actually from the summer. They're not from Christmas because the really big time for you know gaming for me when I was a kid was in the summer going to visit my cousins and playing a bunch of games with them. So, you know, the Christmas memories are are a little bit are a little bit more thin on the ground because we didn't do that every year for Christmas, but we did sometimes and sometimes there were just, you know, times when uh, you know, there was there was a game that was like a really really big deal for me. One thing that I can absolutely think of is getting the very first Kingdom Hearts game when that came out in like September, I guess, of 2002, playing through it completely Completely over the couple of months after that game came out, and then uh, and and loving it by the way, then taking it out with us when when we went to to visit our kind of extended family for the holidays and going to my cousins and being like, yeah, you guys should really play this game. It's so good. And then uh, we just we mainlined that game, uh, you know, all the way through over the course of like a week. And um, yeah, you know, it's it's probably the, the fastest turnaround time between me playing through a game and then completely playing through the game again. And, um, you know, it was a, a testament to, I guess, to that game that, you know, I still had like a, a great time going through it again with, with my cousins, which of course was like a more fun thing than than just doing it like by myself. But, you know, my sister and I had, had already kind of gone through the game the first time. And it was really fun to, to kind of, you know, get to experience 
experience it again through different eyes with uh, with them. So that's that's a big one for me. Uh, what about you? The big thing for me, and, and the reason that the Super Nintendo is still my favorite console ever, and probably the reason we do this podcast, <laughs> frankly, um, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. the the winter that I got my Super Nintendo and got Mario World with it and all that. That was a year that sticks out in my mind because I was uh, back in the public elementary school after being two years at a private Catholic school, and you know, finally, you know, convincing my parents I didn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> so this was my second year back yeah. at public school. That year, I had a horrible teacher. She was just the meanest, nastiest old lady you can imagine. She was horrible. She was infamous at the school for just how mean she was and how difficult she was to put up with, and uh. so. That was also the year that around uh, winter break or a little bit after winter break, we had two huge snowstorms, like uh, within the same month, I'm wanting to say. Each of these snowstorms brought with them like about seven inches of snow, I'm wanting to say. I even remember like going out with a big yardstick and measuring at one point because I was just like, wow, it's still coming down. And just being ecstatic about it because it meant, oh, snow day, I'm not going to have to go to school tomorrow. This is great. So not only did I have the Super Nintendo and Super Mario World that year, but we had all this snow, so we had a lot of time to play those games. Uh, and I remember, you know, we had a few friends in the neighborhood who were close enough that, you know, our parents didn't mind driving us to and from each other's houses in that weather. We were all playing a lot of Super Mario World, and then we were going out and building these giant snow forts and using Mario World as, as a sort of uh, uh, inspiration. I would try building things from Super Mario World out of snow. I remember trying to build a a large um, switch from the Switch Palaces (laughs) out of snow. I wanted to get, like, food coloring or something, but I I knew I wouldn't be able to get enough of it to actually color this entire thing. But, yeah, I just really remember having a lot of time that year getting to play in the snow with my friends and, and... Having this respite from this awful, awful teacher that I had, Um, just a really fun winter of playing in this just mountain of snow and then going inside to warm up and playing Super Mario World. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was was a really great winter. The second storm came in. I was actually at a friend's house while it was happening, and we're watching the news, and then they just say, like, yep, school district is closed for the next two days. Like, they just straight up said, the next two days, you you all have a a four-day weekend now. Ah, so nice. So nice. Oh, it was amazing. It was so great. And I was already at my friend's house, and so, you know, immediately my friend's like, hey, can we we call his parents and see if he can spend the night? And, you know, so I I think I ended up doing that, and it was a really great winter. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, That's a really good story. So, uh, with that, I guess we will um, uh, kick it over to someone else's story we're going to be listening to Derek from the Rolling Misadventures podcast hello everybody it's Derek from Rolling Misadventures an actual play tabletop podcast that blends audio drama sound design into each of our scenes Uh, if any of that strikes your fancy Just visit RollingMisadventures.com to get more details. When asked about a fun SNES holiday story, I really had to think about it. I could just go with the cliche of Christmas morning 1993, opening up all of our presents, except missing the one thing that I had really asked for, until my parents could laugh off my palpable disappointment by pulling an SNES from behind the couch. Complete with Super Mario World and Jurassic Park, no less. But 
you know what? Let's do a different story. Instead, I figured that I'd go a year later. We were states away, or a state away, roughly three hours, staying for two weeks with extended family to celebrate the holidays. Come Christmas morning, about a week into the visit, my brother and I were extremely excited. Not only had it been a solid week spent with nobody even close to our age, but any activities that we brought just were not cutting it anymore. As the presents were passed around, it got to our big and final gift. Both my brother and I each got a Game Boy, with two games to share between us. This was unheard of for our family. We didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, and the fact that both my brother and I had a gaming device that was our very own was insane to us. So, as we were ecstatically ripping these boxes open... My mother then realized that she forgot to buy batteries to power the newly acquired bricks. We all had a quick laugh, as this was family tradition for us. And it still held true, even if we were a state away. That was until my father chimed in with something along the lines of, Well, that's okay. We also got them that one other thing that should help. Knowing that we now had some other way to play these games, both intrigued, but... Honestly, it was the one thing that I had asked for, thinking that there was no possible way we could have gotten Game Boys. So we tore into this extra surprise gift, equally excited, to find a Super Game Boy cartridge. As I was just elated to have this gift, I smiled and thanked them, before having to break the news to them that uh, we would actually need that SNES from back at home, three hours away, to be able to use it. Now, I don't remember the exact words out of my mom's mouth as she disappointedly shook her head at my dad, but it was the realization of forgetting to bring the SNES that she said, well, forgetting to bring that along is about as bad as the batteries, I suppose. And thus, our family tradition had evolved. And now on to the SNES rankings. Okay, look, I realize that you folks are going through the list, and so, like, my top favorite picks are not going to be on this list yet. However, the fact that you put Super Mario Kart at 13 below Top Gear, which, honestly, is a game I did enjoy quite a bit as a kid, as one of my friends growing up had it, it didn't match to the amount of hours that we put into Super Mario Kart. Just between the multiplayer, of being able to race against each other with all those fun power-ups, arguing over who got to be Yoshi, or hopping over into the battle mode, which was unheard of for an SNES game like that. Specifically, a, a racing game that let us battle with an open floor map. That put it pretty high up there, so I have to argue that Super Mario Kart should be higher on the list. I would put it a little bit higher than even Final Fantasy II. Eh, maybe I wouldn't even put Final Fantasy II up there that high on the list. But at the very least, it's got to be above Top Gear. Uh, so with that, uh, once again, this is Derek from Rolling Misadventures. And uh, have a happy holidays. Right. So thank you very much, Derek, for sharing that with us. That was a, a fantastic story. 
Yeah, not having the batteries on Christmas, something I, I remember happening a few times. Uh. <laughs> That's rough. It's just one of the things that was was true about uh, playing playing games, you know, handheld games, uh, especially, you know, back in, back in the day. Uh, it was just like, yeah, you need to have everybody on the same page, like your parents and everything about what you actually need to have to play these things. You know, actually, it's funny he talks about Mario Kart. One of my other favorite uh, memories from from you know growing up was the winter that my sister and I both got Nintendo DSs for Christmas and we were talking a little bit about this before I actually misremembered something um, we did not both get Mario Kart I got the bundle that had Mario Kart uh, DS bundled in and my sister got the one that had Nintendogs but one of the things I do really remember about that that was the first handheld game system I had that had a rechargeable battery in it so you did not have to worry about anything like having enough batteries to to run the Game Boy or whatever. I, I bet a lot of things have just rechargeable batteries built into them these days, including kids' toys, I'd imagine. Probably, yeah. So one thing that was great about that whole experience, though, Mario Kart DS had the, the first implementation that I ever heard of of the great group play feature where if somebody else had the system, they could download kind of like a smaller version of Mario Kart if you also had it and and play with you. So we played a lot of Mario Kart that winter, even though only one of us had the thing. And it was just, it was a great time. And I think that partially does contribute to the fact that Mario Kart DS is still my favorite Mario Kart game. Yeah, Mario DS or uh, Mario Kart DS is a great great Mario Kart game. I think that the fact that they did allow for that sort of local play with only one card to an extent was was a really great feature. I'm guessing your sister played a lot of Shy Guy in that game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, though sometimes we, sometimes we did trade off so that I would play as Shy Guy and she could use one of the other characters. Yeah, but, you know, talking about Mario Kart, that is actually, you know, one of the reasons why we did end up ranking Mario Kart below things like Top Gear was that... It's not like the definitive... You, right, yeah, it's not the definitive version of Mario Kart. I mean, more than that, it feels like a version of Mario Kart that has just been overshadowed by almost every sequel that has come out for it. Um, and I also think that we were really, really surprised by Top Gear. I don't think we were expecting a racing game to be able to do, you know, like the sort of road elevations and things like that without a Super FX chip. Having said all that, though, if Derek had said that he'd never played Top Gear, I think this would be a different conversation. But since he does know what Top Gear is and he does know that it's a good game, I think we could probably go back, play both of those, and, and maybe reevaluate them in the future. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about any suggestions on the list today, but I don't think we're going to actually change the list, the list officially. For a couple of weeks, at least, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to take some time to play some of these again. Uh, anyway, I do want to talk a little bit about Derek's show before we move on. So this is one that I, I just learned about just through having my tweet kind of shared by other people. Really fun podcast, really, really funny. They do uh, some great work there. It's uh, basically a table top role-playing game with a lot of improv hilarious situations it's like whose line is it anyway but good <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, sick sick uh sick drew carey burn there no i mean it's it's not anybody's fault on whose line is it anyway it's just you know it's a more contrived premise than just hey we're going to just make up an entire story and keep it funny but you know it, they base everything on a role-playing game uh, mostly a game called fiasco i believe it was in, in which there are just tons of different scenarios for it that can be adapted to almost anything it sounds like I listened to one recently where they're basically doing like a Fast and the 
the Furious parody. And, and I know nothing about the Fast and the Furious, so I, you know, but it was still, speaking of Fast and Furious, I still found it funny, even though I didn't get all the references there. It's almost enough to make me reconsider my stance on tabletop RPGs. I, I don't know. My, my experience with tabletop RPGs is that you really do just need to have a good group of people to play them with and, you know, a group of people where everybody is very much on the same page about what they want to be getting out of the game, you know? I've had really good, mostly really good tabletop RPG experiences whenever I've played those games. I've also had some that weren't as fun. It's a thing where it is itself a whole hobby. Depending on how deeply you want to get into that hobby, you'll probably get different experiences out of it. But, yeah, um, I'm glad, though, that, that shows like Derek exist to kind of give people a window into what like a good tabletop RPG experience is like so that people can, um, you know, kind of kind of have a better understanding of like how those things can go in, in the right hands. I will say before that, before I get into any of that, I need this pandemic to be over so that I can finally break out my copy of Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid finally get a group of people together in person to play that because I've been wanting to play. I've, I've had it since May. I want to play that game so bad. I really do feel for, for everybody who is really into like board gaming and like tabletop uh, game playing where like there's aspects of it that, you know, for definitely for certain games where it's just not nearly as, as fun to play it like over, over, you know, discord or, or roll 20 or to use like tabletop simulator or something. There's just something missing from the experience that they haven't been able to get this year because of the pandemic. Do we have any more, uh, any more stories that we wanted to share? Or do we just want to go on to, uh, the next one or, uh, you know, I think, I think let's go on to the next one and, uh, yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be good. All right. So yeah, Let's hear from a uh, hey, old friend of ours, Trevor, from Catching Up on Cinema. Hi, I'm Trevor from Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, and in this way we broaden our cinematic horizons and catch up on our cinema. Uh, so, Catching Up on Cinema is a film-centric podcast. Uh, however, it needs to be said, um, one of my other passions happens to be video games. Uh, I've been playing games my entire life, um, with most of my most precious and uh, formative gaming memories coming about in the 8- and the 16-bit eras of gaming, um, such that the Super Nintendo uh, is and likely will forever remain uh, my favorite console, and also the only one that I um, actively collect games for, which is essentially what led to me, uh, I guess, inviting myself onto uh, Steampunk Link and uh, Zero's Snescapades podcast um, for their uh, 100th or 100th special game episode, um, which was so much fun, and I, I'm so very thankful and appreciative of both of them for uh, allowing me to come onto the show and uh, talk some SNES with them. And uh, here I am again. Uh, so once again, thank you to both Steampunk Link and Emmy Zero uh, for being so gracious as to have me back. So I guess the subject of the day is uh, Christmas and or holiday-related gaming memories, um, like a specific SNES game that you associate uh, with the holidays. Um, and for my answer, I guess I'd have to say um, Street Fighter Two. Uh, the World Warrior. If memory serves, 
um, I believe my brother and I, my older brother and I, that, that is important. We'll come back to that. Um, we're very fortunate to have received our, our Super Nintendo, um, I believe like a year after it debuted, which would put us at about 1992. So I was about five years old at the time. And one of the most distinct memories I have of, a of that Christmas morning of, of getting the Super Nintendo was like the, the styrofoam sheet that the thing came in. White styrofoam has that weird like squelch noise it makes when you when you rub on it or you tug on it. Um, you know what I mean. Um, but one of the one of the most distinct memories I have is uh, getting the controller in my hands for the first time. Uh, so at that point in my life, all five years of my life at that point, um, the only video game controller I'd ever held uh, was a NES controller, uh, which had only two face buttons and two menu buttons. Um, and I'll never forget just being daunted and just utterly dumbfounded uh, by the Super Nintendo controller and, and just how many buttons it had. And of course, the the game that we christened our our new Super Nintendo with was the uh, the the pack-in game, uh, Super Mario World. Um, however, for me personally, um, I don't know what it says about me, but Super Mario World, even at a very young age, it it just never really resonated with me. I think as much as it did with some of my contemporaries. Um, really, the, the games that throughout my life, well, at least my childhood and whatnot, um, stuck with me the most were the, the games I could play with my brother. Um, and it needs to be said, um, we had this like kind of loosely enforced rule uh, in the household, at least in like our, our early days of gaming, um, wherein my parents were only willing to bring games into the home that had a uh, two-player simultaneous function. Uh, two of the games I had the most fun playing with my brother at this like very early stage of our uh, gaming relationship was a uh, legend of the mystical ninja which is in, like an all-time great on the super nintendo if you ask me um, unfortunately it's also very long and very difficult and uh, me being the younger less skilled brother when it came to games at that point in time um, it made it so difficult to the point that uh, i don't think i ever beat it with him i think my brother beat it on his own but Playing that game co-op is always hilarious because inevitably there's usually somebody who uh, is of a greater skill level than the other. And uh, Konami was kind enough to include like features to try to balance things out a bit where there, there's like a piggyback mode where if one of you sucks at platforming, uh, the other one can just lay down and you can jump on his back and he can just run you, literally carry you through the level. I'm pretty sure my brother and I exploited that feature quite often because, man, um, some of the platforming in that game I just could not figure out at that point in my life. These days I love that game, but uh, looking back, man, uh, we did not get very far. Um, but one of the other games, um, and I seem to recall this one actually uh, we did get on a Christmas. Maybe not the Christmas we got the Super Nintendo, but I want to say we got it probably the same year, um, was uh, Data East's uh, Joe and Mac. Uh, the caveman ninja game um the reason why i bring this game up is not because it's a fantastic game but because it's a it's a game that kind of served as the prime example of um, my parents thought process when it came to buying games at that point in time was it you know it had big as life and twice as ugly on the box two player simultaneous gameplay uh so they're like sure our kids you know they're into ninja turtles maybe they like caveman too what what was it about the 90s and cavemen we were really into that back then um maybe somebody will do a study on that or something about the the cultural wave that was uh caveman stuff in the 90s 
But anyway, um, the reason why I bring up Joe and Mac is because it's not a great game, um, but it is a game that I remember um, playing with my brother so many times, and I remember him just hating that game so much. Um, I know it was a common practice in Japan um, at one point in time to to write your name on cartridges, um, presumably because like if you lost it or something, it was like a way to maybe get it back to you. Um, and I don't know where he got this idea from, but I'll never forget. My brother wrote in Sharpie on uh, the first wave of Super Nintendo games that we got in the house. And uh, on Joe and Mac, he wrote, um, and this was in- intended for prospective thieves. Again, it was the early 90s. Home Alone and Home Alone 2 were kind of in vogue at the time. So, I don't know, maybe my brother thought Harry and Marv were going to drop in on him or something. Again, I have no idea where he got this idea from, but this was a thing that he did. Um, He wrote on Joe and Mac, um, take me to, take me to, come on, take me to. And that was his way of saying like, hey, you know, it really sucks that you're stealing our stuff, uh, Mr. Burglar. Um, But if you're going to be taking our stuff, uh, could you please take Joe and Mac while you're at it? Because nobody here wants it except for my dumb little brother. But anyway, I started this whole thing talking about Street Fighter 2, so I figure it's about time I got to it. My brother and I were very fortunate um, to spend our winter break in uh, in Hawaii, um, visiting my, my grandmother and my extended family, uh, the, the Japanese contingent of the family. Um, and man, I just have these really distinct images in my head of us sitting cross-legged on the floor um, at the foot of of the guest room bed um, playing Street Fighter 2 with my cousin and my brother. We had all the luxuries of the Hawaiian Islands available to us, um, and for whatever reason, the one thing that the three of us knew we wanted to do uh, was play Street Fighter in the guest bedroom of my grandmother's house. Um, But, like, one of the things I remember most was, of course, uh, endlessly losing. Um, I was not very good at fighting games, and, and even to this day, I'm only competent but yeah, I just remember losing endlessly and uh, constantly picking uh, Dalsim uh, because I liked his stretchy limbs. And I liked being able to keep my distance at that time. These days, I'm complete opposite, um, as well as some of the charge characters like uh, Guile, Blanca, and E-Honda, uh, because um, at the time, uh, special moves were special. Um, that is to say, uh, they were somewhat difficult to pull off, especially on a, a small Super NES uh, D-pad. If you've ever played a SNK game uh, on the SNES from that era, like, say, Fatal Fury or Art of Fighting, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so just, like, holding back for two seconds, pressing forward in a button was something that, you know, my kind of fudge fingers at the time could could figure out. Um, but the one thing I remember the most about those extended sessions um, with my older brother and uh, my cousin um, was was just being endlessly frustrated um, by the fact that neither of them would teach me how to do the uh, Tatsumak Senpukyak. Uh, that would be Ryu and Ken, or uh, as we knew him at the time, uh, Ryu and Ken. Uh, that would be their hurricane kick, if if you're not familiar and all it is is a quarter circle backwards motion with a kick. And um, at the time, I I didn't realize that the instruction manual had all that information, so I just I apparently didn't bother to read that part of it. Um, but I'll just never forget the two of them just laughing at me and like relentlessly beating me <laughs> constantly with with that move over and over and over again. And 
you know it it was cruel at the time but in retrospect it's it's one of those things that's like yeah this is what it's like you know growing up with an older brother and and playing video games and those are the memories that you you remember it's silly things like that that probably don't mean much uh listening to right now but for me i can i can see it in my head like it's like watching a movie and uh it's it's very special and doubly so because these days i'm i'm i'll freely admit i'm i'm not i'm not a very good loser and uh looking back at who i was back then it's like you know i should hold on to that because it 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 might do me some good to get back to my five-year-old self and you know rekindle some of that resilience some of that persistence some of that ability to endlessly eat that hurricane kick and just keep coming back because you know you're going to learn something from it i mean that's the hope anyway so anyway that's enough reminiscing um i have one other order of business to attend to though and that would of course be snescapades snes rankings list so last time i appeared on the show um i was invited um dare i say encouraged um to dispute some of the rankings on the SNES rankings list. And while I do feel both Steampunk Link and ME Zero do a fantastic job ranking these games, um, I am going to bring up a couple of games that I do feel uh, are deserving of a second look. Um, Chief among which, of course, being uh, number 84, uh, Axley. Um, Axley is a both vertical and horizontal um, shoot-em-up scrolling shooter, um, and I feel I feel that it was unjustly kind of glossed over in some ways. Um, I'm looking up the rankings here, and I see both uh, Super R-Type and Gradius 3 um, ranked higher than it. In fact, uh, Darius Twin is ranked even higher than both of those, as far as I know. Um, and for me personally, I would put Axley above all of those. Um, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a connoisseur of the genre, um, but I know my way around shoot 'em ups, and Axelay Forevermore is going to be one of my very, very, very favorites, if not my favorite, on the Super Nintendo. Um, like most shoot 'em ups on the system, uh, it, it does have slowdown. Um, you could dispute the uh, the weapon system, the way they give you a health bar in the form of, or hit points rather, in the form of uh, your weapons being disabled rather than you dying outright. You could say that that's kind of a clunky mechanic. Um, I think it's actually kind of a nice little uh, safety net for people that maybe aren't the best at these kinds of games. Um, but moreover, I feel like just the the presentation, um, the graphics are fantastic. It's an early Super Nintendo game, and uh, the music is straight up one of my very favorite soundtracks on the Super Nintendo. And uh, only playing the first two levels or so of the game um, is not getting the whole picture. Um, you really do need to experience some of the later levels, and more importantly, some of the later weapons, um, because you do unlock new weapons and new strategies um, which each with each level that you clear. Um, so yeah, Axley, I feel, at number 84. Um, at this point, you know, it's squarely in the middle of the list, so it's it's not in a bad place, but when I see some of the other shoot-em-ups that are ranked much, much higher on the list, it's like... <laughs> It's not even really the ranking. <laughs> it's it's more I j- I'm just looking for an excuse to have them take a second look at it. And on that same note, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot of evidence to make a case from, but I would very much like to see the two of them take another look at a final fight. Um, I believe it's ranked number 59 right now. Um, mostly because I, I think it, 
despite being a little bit of a busted port from the arcade version anyway, you know, missing the two-player or three-player functionality, I think it feels really fantastic. And moreover, I just like the the stickiness of when when you lay into your opponents. Um, feel is really, really, really important to beat 'em ups, and and I would I dare say that Final Fight on the Super Nintendo actually feels very good. But anyway, uh, those are my two cents, and I've probably gone over time, so I'm going to get out of here in a hurry. Uh, but before I go, I'd just like to thank once again Steampunk Link and Emmy Zero uh, for having me on Snescapades again. Uh, it's great to be back, and I very much like to work with you again uh, so looking forward to that um, but that being said um, if you would like to uh, find any of our other catching up on cinema content uh, that would be me and my stuff um, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com and uh, you can find us on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine um, so just google us um, and if you'd like to reach out to us um, via social media uh, for you know suggestions as to future episodes, comments, concerns, anything of that nature, uh, you can find us on uh, the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. But that being said, uh, thanks so much for allowing me to share some SNES memories and whatnot. And uh, I guess I'll catch you next time. Right. Thank you very much, Trevor. And yeah, we would like to work with you again, too. We had a whole thing about the Street Fighter movie a while back and the Double Dragon movie. So if those aren't ones you've covered yet, let us know. We'll uh... <laughs> actually no. Let, let us know about the Street Fighter one. I don't want to watch Double Dragon again. <laughs> I don't think I can deal with with watching Double Dragon twice in the span of like a year. But yeah, so talking a lot about co-op games, Street Fighter 2, Legend of the Mystical Ninja, Joe and Mac or some that, that popped out to me. Joe and Mac like he said not a terrific game but it is a pretty fun co-op game it's 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 kind of janky it's not the best but it's pretty good and obviously uh you're certainly not going to argue the the merits of legend of the mystical ninja that was one of my foundational co-op game experiences absolutely really great memories of playing all the way through that with with a friend of mine again when this pandemic is over i would totally be willing to try like doing a let's play or a long play of that one with you. That would be really cool. Yeah, actually kind of dig into it and see if maybe we can, you know, playing it together uh, might might assuage some of the frustrations that playing it single player <laughs> gives you, for, you know, yep. I, I suspect. Yeah, so. and when there was only one set of footprints, that's when you carried me. <laughs> we yes. talked about Axley last time he was on. I think we did move it up a little bit. I noticed, though, we have actually in the past few weeks said, gone back and said some pretty positive things about Axelay in retrospect. We have. We were saying that we thought that it was kind of an omission from the nesters in that Nintendo Power issue, especially when it comes to presentation, which, uh, you know, Trevor talked about, you know, being a real standout thing in this game. And I'll agree with that. It, it looks and sounds very, very good. So, OK, let's see where it is right now. It's number 84, which not very high, though, again, Trevor did admit that now that it's kind of the middle of the road for as far as this list is concerned, it's not that bad. But he was kind of saying that he feels like it should be maybe higher with regard to some of the other shmups that are on this list. So the problem here is that, like, I've still kind of got a soft spot for Strike Gunner STG at number 80, but I understand that that one is going to be pretty bland to a lot of people. I don't know, maybe we do something weird where like we just kind of group Axley and Strike Gunner together and we move them up together. I don't know, maybe. Because you know what? I could see both of those going above something like Phalanx, maybe. 
Phalanx is, I, I think, a little bit over-designed, and, you know, I think that maybe playing a few of these shmups back-to-back-to-back, it might it might kind of reveal some, like, strengths and weaknesses here that weren't as apparent just playing them in the release order. Yeah. Honestly, what might need to happen is that some of the games that we were kind of impressed by at first maybe lose their luster a little bit over time, especially since we are trying to review these in the context of what was going on when they got released. Again, kind of going back to Draken there, I think when we properly rearrange this list, I think I'm just going to drop Draken probably pretty considerably. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we should replay some of these and and just really kind of give them a, another look. The The thing we don't want to do also is just be like, well, we assume we were wrong about this, so... If we reevaluate all of these constantly, like, we'll never have, you know, we'll never get anywhere. We'll give the shmups another, you know, some of the shmups another look, and we will reevaluate Axley's position there. Final, final fight, fight. Yeah. Where yeah. is that one right now? Final fight is 59. That's actually pretty good, I think. You know, that's like the top third of the list, so... Is there a brawler above that that also is only one player? I guess Sonic Blastman, but Sonic Blastman is just kind of weird, and I, I kind of like it. I don't think this bodes well for Final Fight's positioning going up any further. I, I think that one's going to stay where it is, honestly. I just don't see it. I just don't see, you know, the argument, really, to that the, to, to put that game higher than it is. Again, I mean, Draken's going to fall below it, so, you know, it'll move up a spot in that regard, I yeah. guess. Um, yeah, for sure. I get that, you know, like, Final Fight, presentation-wise, it looks amazing. But at what cost, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a better-looking game than something like Rival Turf, but... I don't know. It just it, it just didn't do it for me being only one player. I think when we get to like Final Fight 2 when you can do two player, I think that that one is going to get ranked pretty high up. I think that one's going to go above a lot of what's already on here as far as the brawlers are concerned. So. Yeah, I think so. So Trevor was talking a lot about playing co-op games with his older brother, I believe he said. And uh, um, I was the older brother in my house. So a lot of the time, you know, playing co-op for me, my my, my younger brother, who's kind of um, a few years younger than me, wasn't quite as into video games as I was. My little sister kind of liked him, but she was at the age where just operating a SNES controller was maybe a little bit outside of her... Uh, capabilities at the time. So a lot of times playing games with my siblings meant playing the game for them. Uh, I do remember a lot of the time, like giving my sister a controller, like for Super Mario All-Stars or something saying, "Uh, okay, here you play Mario three, even though I'm actually playing it and just kind of letting her push the buttons and stuff like that. I also remember renting a few games that she wanted to play, but I would end up playing for her because again, you know, she wasn't really at the age where she could operate the controller all that well, or, you know, so I ended up playing, a couple of games that are kind of known for being some of the worst on the system. Uh, <laughs> two that stick out to me are Beethoven Second and Barbie Super Fashion Model. Not good ones. We'll get there. Your memory of kind of playing games with siblings. One of the big things, I already mentioned the the whole thing with going to see my cousins over the summer. We would do that pretty much every year. We'd be there for, you know, like a, a couple of months. Uh, we would be, you know, like basically spend the summer with our like kind of extended family. One of the big things, uh, and we kind of just got into this over, over time. Uh, one of the big things was RPGs. 
usually the way it would go is that I would usually be the person who had the games, like who had the newer system and the, the, the newest games. And I would get these games usually for like my birthday or something. I would play them. I would play a good portion of most of these. And, you know, we're talking your, you know, Final Fantasy three, Final Fantasy six, AKA Final Fantasy three, Chrono Trigger, you know, um, Lunar, the Silver Star story, uh, all these, all, all of these games all the way through kind of the, the, you know, Super Nintendo, PS1, and like PS2 era. I would play a decent bit of them on my own, but really the big thing I was always really excited about was to go see my cousins and for my older cousin, who was real big into RPGs and was really into the gameplay systems, you know, the the min-maxing and, you know, grinding and all of that. We would go there and he would play these games through to completion. And the rest of us, you know, me, my little sister, my younger cousin, who, who was his little sister, we would watch and we would kind of communally take part in the experience while he kind of threaded his way through the game. And usually because I had played some of it, I would have like advice to give or, you know, I would just be like really excited for them to get to like a really, uh, really exciting moment in the story. And usually I hadn't finished the game. So we would all experience the ending together. It was just great. It was, you know, communal single player uh, gaming. And, you know, it really, I think, shaped my love for the medium in a lot of ways, having these kind of communal experiences. And yeah, we would do that, you know, really kind of every year as, as I was, as we were growing up. And my sister also, when, when she got a little bit older, cause she's like considerably younger than me, she got really into multiplayer, like co-op gaming and, and competitive gaming and stuff with the GameCube, which was sort of the system that was, you know, big when she was was like really kind of coming of age. Uh, so I remember, you know, she and her friends were super into the game uh, Kirby Superstar, not uh, Kir Kirby Air Ride. Yeah. Which, you know, I think is not generally considered like one of the standout games from that system. But I remember just like her and her friends like playing that for hours and, you know, exploring, you know, all these different like modes in the game. And I would just sometimes kind of just like sit there and watch them play this and be like, man, there's a lot, you can get a lot out of this game if you're, you know, in like kind of the right mindset for it. So that's, that's a lot of, uh, more than, more than like pure two people at the same time playing the game co-op experiences. That's a lot of, of my kind of communal gaming experiences from growing up. Yeah. And I had some similar ones to that as well. As my sister got older, you know, she'd have friends over and we would all kind of just engage with like RPGs together. Um, like I remember playing games like, yeah, uh, I think it was shadow hearts for the PS2. I think it was. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Like a fun thing was just kind of like coming up with different voices for all of the characters as we were going through. <laughs> but one thing that my sister really loved, uh, you know, her favorite RPG probably, and it definitely mine is skies of Arcadia. Oh yeah. We both really liked the character Ika for very different reasons, but, uh, uh, she, like Aika, has red hair, so she actually sort of adopted this persona of Aika in a way. Well, not really adopted the persona, but <laughs> all of her friends throughout high school called her Aika. Oh, wow. Uh, some of her friends still do. I got her some tea for Christmas this year that um, somebody had uh, made, like, all these teas based on characters from Skies of Arcadia. I think I saw this from, like, following former 
Kotaku writer uh, Heather Alexandra. Yeah, yeah, she's a big Skies of Arcadia fan, I know, so that makes sense. Maybe, like, the only person more obsessed with Skies of Arcadia than me and my sister. <laughs> yeah, she had um, said something about the, these teas on on Twitter, so I, I saw that when I saw there was an Ica tea. I was like, okay, well, I gotta get that for her, and so... I, no, she said, like, she just freaked out when she got that, so I was really happy. I do think that one-player games can be great for a communal gaming experience with the right kinds of people, and and on that note, I think that's a great segue to go into our next story here from Chris of Play Comics, because he's got something uh, to say about that kind of along those lines, too. So take it away, Chris. saw the opportunity to come here and talk about gaming and the holidays and stuff, I instantly thought of one of my favorite games of all time. Probably the game I have put the most hours into in my entire life. Multiple playthroughs of it. I fell in love with the series through this game. Spent hours and hours playing it all the time whenever I could. This is my favorite game in the series. This is my favorite first game that I had that was really mine, possibly the best Zelda game that I have ever played. Link's Awakening for the Game Boy. Ha, got you there with that one, didn't I? No, but seriously though, I forget exactly how old I was, probably like seven or eight, somewhere in there. My parents got me a Game Boy. I'm old enough to where that was the big gray brick, and that's all there was. No options. I don't even think there were any of the late model, big gray brick, like color options over here. It was just, hey, you get a Game Boy, you get Tetris, and my parents also got me The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. And I honestly have no idea why. They had no indication from me that I know of that this would be the kind of game that I would like. I mean, of course, they were really right about that. So I'm not complaining about it at all. But I got this game. I got the Game Boy. Pop some batteries into it. And for literally hours that day, I played The Legend of Zelda. And I didn't really get too far into it because I hadn't learned how to think like a Zelda game yet. Which is to be expected. It was my first time playing it, for real. I had messed around a little bit with the NES ones over at friends' houses. But, you know, it's Zelda's not the kind of game you can really play for, you know, like half an hour at a friend's house and... Maybe you don't touch it again for another week. It's the kind of game that you really have to dive into and get into with that kind of thing. So I'm sitting here and I'm playing this game for hours and hours and batteries ran out on me and popped some more batteries in and I played for hours and hours again and I loved it. Right at the beginning when you have to uh, push those rocks around to get through the first little dungeon-y type thing so you can get up and get the magic powder. I couldn't figure out the puzzle there, and I got myself locked into that little cave where I couldn't get back out of it, and I had to restart the game, and then, you know, eventually I figured it out, and I loved it. But I probably spent hours just trying to figure out how to push those rocks around to get out. But the thing was, the way that game was set up, I knew it was tough. I knew there were those puzzles in there. I knew that there was something 
that had to work though to get myself out because this game was just way too well made to where that early in the game I could lock myself into a spot where I couldn't get through the game. And I don't think this was just childhood naivete there. Like, go and look at this game. But he's really talking about as their favorite Zelda game. And I will admit, probably part of why this is my favorite Zelda game is because it was my first real Zelda game. I didn't have Link to the Past until after I'd graduated college and I started collecting retro games. We didn't even have a Nintendo 64. This was my only Zelda game. You know, unless you want to count emulator stuff. And for whatever reason, I just never really emulated the Zelda games, probably because I always had my Link's Awakening. Eventually, uh, my parents got me a Game Boy Pocket. My brother got the big gray brick. Zelda was always mine. He didn't touch that game, ever. Because it was mine. I don't think he really wanted to touch it either, so that probably helped. But I had that game, and I loved it. And I spent hours on that game. And I got it for Christmas, which is what makes it go with the holidays. And it's just, it's a game that has always stuck with me. I can still go through that game. And I don't have to look up hardly anything. And what makes this game kind of double holiday special for me is... My wife never really played it. They didn't really have a Game Boy that she had access to. Her brother had a Game Boy, but you know he, he's not into those kind of games, so he never had it. So we recently got the Switch version of Link's Awakening, and we're going through that thing, trying to see how far we can get before I have to look anything up. And she's played other Zelda games with me. Her family had a 64, so they had Ocarina of Time, and they had Majora's Mask. And, you know, we've played the Wii stuff. And, of course, we have Breath of the Wild because we're not monsters, although we do have it on Wii U. But she just doesn't have the Link's Awakening experience that I do. And so she's seen all this stuff for essentially the first time. I'm seeing, you know, the Switch graphics version of this stuff for the first time. But we got that game for us for Christmas. Granted, we got it a few weeks ago go and we opened it up and started playing it the second it came in because we are small children and do not have patience and do not like delayed gratification on things like that but it's just another holiday for me where not only do I get to play this game for kind of the first time because you know the controls are different there's a few other little different added things in there there's some weirdness that I don't have to deal with like I don't have to run with the Pegasus boots to make a long jump knowing that there better not be a bad guy over there because I don't have a button for my sword available you know that kind of thing I think it's a welcome upgrade for me I probably cannot imagine Nintendo saying hey here on the Switch we're going to keep it so you could only use two buttons because that would be silly but I think this is kind of the perfect game upgrade because you take things that certainly, if the Game Boy had had more buttons, there would have been more buttons available to use. There's no way you would have just had, you have to have your sword and your shield and you have to get rid of one of them if you want to use anything else. My wife is going through seeing all this for the first time. I'm going through 
saying, oh, here's this thing, here's this thing, here's this thing. We need to do this and this and this and this and this. And we haven't had to look up anything so far. She's gotten to take some of her Zelda knowledge from other games and apply it. I'm getting to apply, hey, I've played this part like 5,000 times. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I just get to share that with somebody else. And granted, she's probably not going to have the Super Game Boy experience with it with me. Because, you know, we have it on Switch. She won't want to play it on another system. Which is fine. But to me, Link's Awakening is just the quintessential in my brain that this is a Christmas game. It has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything, really, that I could relate to Christmas, other than the fact that it's a game that I got for Christmas. And quite frankly, I think that is good enough. Also, you know, the prequel game, Link to the Past, I hear that's pretty good, too. So, you know, if you want to hear other random things from me, you can always head on over to playcomics.com and check those out. But most of all, I mean, just find a game that you love and find an excuse to share it with somebody else because getting to share things like that, I think, is just really a wonderful feeling. Thank you very much, Chris. So, yeah, um, Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening. I have not played that one yet, and I really, really should. Yeah, I've I played the hell out of the uh, the original Game Boy one, but uh, I've not I've not touched the the Switch remake, and uh, it's on my list. It's one of the things that I'm I'm looking forward to getting to at some point. And uh, yeah, I love that idea of Chris playing through that with uh, with his wife, and that game is so charming, uh, even in like its original form. That like I bet that one's a great one to play through with somebody else. Yeah, it's really one that I would like to revisit. Um, part of me almost wants to play play it just on a an original Game Boy. Um, well, not an original Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket. So okay. I've got another story. We've we've talked, you know, we've had folks talking a lot about Game Boy. I want to say a little story about how I got this Game Boy that I'm holding in my hand right now that is I, I keep on my desk. At some point, uh, while the N64 was out, Nintendo Power, oh, I think it was for their 100th issue. They had some limited edition items that you could only order through the magazine. One of them was a gold-colored N64 controller. And another one was a gold-colored Game Boy Pocket. Now, I was much more interested in the N64 controller at the time. So as soon as I found out about this, and knowing that there were very limited quantities of these, I don't remember how many exactly, uh, my mom called them and was like, hey, do you still have any of the N64 controllers? And they didn't. So I left the room kind of disappointed, not knowing that my mom stayed on the phone with them and actually ordered me the Game Boy because they still had some of those. And she didn't tell me about it until Christmas when Aww. I opened it up and was just completely dumbstruck because I was not expecting it at all. Um, now I'm so much happier that I've got this Game Boy rather than the N64 controller. The N64 controller probably would have gotten worn down and the, the gold coloring on it may have been <laughs> rubbed off by this point. I don't know. Uh -huh. I've still got this Game Boy Pocket. I I, I've I've never like gone online to see like just how rare this thing is, but it it may actually be 
one of the most rare things in my collection at this point, which, you know, is, is, is getting smaller because I'm trying not to have so many physical things. But this, this little gold Game Boy Pocket I will always hang on to. With that, I think we're going to go into another story. This is by uh, another new friend, Kami Jace, who uh, has a show called The Weekly Cooldown. So take it away, Kami Jace. This is Comedies from the Weekly Cooldown. Um, so one game that I really associate with the holidays is actually Donkey Kong 64. Um, but uh, I, I know this is a Super Nintendo podcast, so instead I will actually actually say uh, Shadowrun. Um, Shadowrun uh, was a game I actually first played on the computer. I am um, apologetic to say that I did not own a Super Nintendo when I was a kid, but... Um, we did have a very good computer, um, and I may or may not have emulated it, um, (laughs) um, but, um, I, I really got to play and enjoy that game uh, for many years, um, throughout my childhood and later into my teens, and even as an adult, I have gone back and played that game, um, a, a couple of times now. And it's just one of those games that I always associate with the holidays simply because I remember playing it when my mom first got the computer for the family, um, which was around a holiday time. Um, And I always remember also if I wasn't able to play on a console that we had, I would then go over to the computer and I would play Shadowrun or honestly a, a whole bunch of other Super Nintendo games. Um, that being said, it, it just really resonates with me, um, even to this day, that Shadowrun is a Christmas game. <laughs> it's very strange to say that, because it, I, I mean, I think it does take place in the winter, um, but it doesn't really have any kind of Christmas elements to it, or like, you know, like a diehard theme kind of to it. Um, there, there's nothing like that in it at all. Um um, right now, there's a very popular and pretty controversial video game, Cyberpunk 2077, um, that I think Shadowrun kind of was the progenitor for. I mean, I mean they, they're both these kind of um, tabletop role-playing games, but they also were so popular um, that they have now spawned actual video games. And I think Shadowrun had the elements of Cyberpunk 2077 way before, um, you know, it, it it was a thought to, to create it into a video game. I think Shadowrun was kind of the, the, the baby, if you will, and the, and the, uh, the, the, the creation of Cyberpunk 2077 is now the kind of adultified version of that. In my mind, it really seems that the creators reached back into the 80s and the 90s to pull out this kind of semi-like futuristic um, world that still has all of these kind of old elements from the 80s and 90s that would have been popular when the tabletop game was popular. And the same can be said for Shadowrun. Um, there's like the the hairstyles, the clothes and all that stuff. They, they It still looks like it's reminiscent of a time 
um, before when the game is supposed to be set. And I, I think Cyberpunk might have, um, you, you know, tried to uh, incorporate more modern elements into it as well. But I, I truly think that you couldn't have Cyberpunk 2077 if you didn't have Shadowrun on the Super Nintendo. Um, now, that being said, I'm looking at your list here, uh, friends, friends, and I, uh, I see that you have, uh, Super Mario up at number one, which I totally agree with, although I would say maybe Soul Blazer could, uh, come up from eight and maybe see more of a, more of a top, top five. Um, the reason I say that is I think it has much more relevance and I think it's actually much more playable than um some of the other games you have in the top five um right now. For example, I know that Final Fantasy two is very popular with uh Final Fantasy uh heads, if you will. Um but I think people really enjoy the kind of uh fast paced action y kind of RPG rather than the turn based one these days. And I think Soul Blazer was kind of a again like a progenitor of that playstyle. Um it doesn't play like other RPGs, um, though it is still a RPG. Um and it's it's kind of fast and everything's kind of moving fast and there's puzzles to do in like real time while you're also fighting monsters. It's it's kind of the starting point for you know, like a, a Final Fantasy fifteen, um, even, I think. Um that also being said, however, I don't see Shadowrun on the list. Maybe I'm scrolling through it too fast, but I don't see Shadowrun. You have to put Shadowrun on here. You have to do an episode on Shadowrun and you have to put it on here. That's the way it goes. <laughs> you just have to do it. Um I think people will really enjoy um going back and seeing a game like Shadowrun. Um, it's, it's, um, admittedly, it's a little dated. It feels dated in its gameplay, but where it doesn't feel dated, I think, is in its story and, um, some of the mechanics. Uh, you've seen these mechanics before, and like I said, I think this was a progenitor for, uh, Cyberpunk 2077. So, uh, yeah, put Shadowrun on this list. Also, I mean, if you want to talk good Final Fantasy games, put Final Fantasy VI on this list. Also known uh, before uh, the early 2000s as Final Fantasy III on the Super Nintendo in North America. Um, it's honestly one of the best Final Fantasy games uh, ever. <laughs> um, yeah, so shout out to those two games that are not on this list. I'm... I'm I'm kidding, and I don't have any any ill will toward you. <laughs> but please put this guy on the list. All right, that's all I got. Thanks, bye. Email. All right, thank you very much, Kami Jace. And uh, yeah, so check out that show, The Weekly Cooldown. Also, I believe he's got a show coming up. Uh, just listen to a pilot for it. The name of it is, is escaping me right now. The name of that show is The Greatest Gaming Game Show Ever. And you can check out the pilot for that, which came out earlier this month, at wkcooldown.com. And you can listen to other episodes of The Weekly Cooldown there as well.
It is a game show podcast, a video game trivia podcast that just just sounds, speaking of Donkey Kong 64, bananas fun. And just going to say, I would like to be on that show. That seems like it would be a really fun show. And um, I I hope that uh, launching that goes goes really well for, for them. Yeah, the the Shadowrun game though he mentions for the the Super Nintendo. Um, yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten to to that one yet in in the chronological ranking that we're doing. But I am excited to get to that one. I haven't really played very much of that, but I have played a pretty good bit of the the modern um, the harebrained schemes uh, Shadowrun RPGs, uh, specifically Dragonfall, which I think is a really cool game. That's like you know I I, I tend to not be like a super huge fan of western style sort of Baldur's Gate style RPGs um, you know the kind of like top down you know click to move uh, infinity engine games but I, I really like those Shadowrun games I think they're really well written so I'm, I'm excited to see what the interpretation of that world was for the Super Nintendo game when we get to it. Yeah I'm worried that because I'm not a super pen and paper tabletop RPG person that Shadowrun it might be a little over my head but I guess we'll see when we get there. My understanding from what I know about the Super Nintendo Shadowrun game is that it is much more of like an adventure type of game that isn't really like systems heavy in the same way that like the pen and paper game would have been. It might be actually something that's more pure alley than you expect it to be, but I don't really know because I haven't played much of it myself. Well, as long as it's not as opaque as, say, like some of the NES Dungeons and Dragons games or some of the freaking Koei games that we've played... (sighs) We'll probably be fine. Uh, I don't think you really need to worry about it being quite like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, and before we move on, I do also want to address, uh, so he was saying uh, Soul Blazer ought to be higher up on our list, which it is pretty high up there. This is now maybe the second person who has um, suggested that maybe Final Fantasy II is too high. And, you know, I I have kind of wondered about that, because obviously we're going to have a lot more Square RPGs coming out on the system that are going to blow Final Fantasy II out of the water. So I, I don't think that it is so opaque as to be unfriendly to RPG newbies. It's it's certainly not as like my first RPG as something like Super Mario RPG when you know when we get to that one, but I could see that being more opaque than somebody maybe wants to deal with who literally has never played an RPG before. I mean, I didn't get into those games back then because they just looked too opaque to me back in the day. So I guess, you know, maybe Final Fantasy 2 is due for a reevaluation in that regard. I don't know. Yeah, we can we can have another look at it for sure. Final Fantasy II is interesting to me because that one that is the one <laughs> Super Nintendo like kind of big Super Nintendo RPG that hit before I had my big moment where I got into those. So I never really played that one as a kid. I don't have the same kind of um, perspective on it that I do for even for something like Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which I I did play as a kid and have a lot of like nostalgia for. By the time I was playing it, I had already I had already played Final Fantasy three and, you know, the the first two Breath of Fire games and probably not Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger was probably a little bit later on. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think that that I, I just never had, like, a very in-depth experience with Final Fantasy 2, so I would be interested to play some more of it, and especially since we've played so many more Super Nintendo games at this point, kind of make a, a little bit of a determination about, you know, how it how it feels like it, it holds up in sort of the wider spread of games that have existed in the system's first, like, year and a half on the market. 
basically it seemed like he was implying that Soul Blazer is a much more just kind of pick up and play game, newbie friendly kind of game than Final Fantasy 2. And, you know, I don't think I can argue with that, really. Soul Blazer is, you know, if you've never played a game like that before, it's easier to just jump right in and get into it than Final Fantasy 2 might be for its specific brand of RPG, you know? Yeah, I could see that. Um, and I'd be interested because we didn't really pit those games against each other in that way. Um, I would be kind of curious to see how they compare to each other if if you were to to play them, you know, with that specifically in mind. I'm not going to say that, that they will totally swap positions or anything like that, but maybe Final Fantasy II and Soul Blazer end up, if nothing else, a little bit closer after our next reevaluation. But yeah, also going off of uh, his story, talking about uh, Cyberpunk 2077, I uh, feel like maybe this is a good time to talk about what we've been playing this year and, uh, you know, talking about stuff that's a little bit more recent. Yeah, which we don't usually do, but yeah. I'll be honest, I have not actually played a whole lot this year, and it's one of the big reasons why the new consoles just haven't really appealed to me. I've been looking back at my library and thinking like, wow, I've got all these PS2 games. I bought so many PS2 games back in the day. Right, yeah. I bought a good amount of PS4, three, or, uh, sorry, PS3 and 360 games, but PS4 and Xbox One, even though I owned both of them, I barely got any games for them. And I've already gotten rid of my Xbox One because I just, I simply didn't play it enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, just kind of looking at that, it's really just kind of diminishing returns for me at this point as far as new consoles go. What's interesting is that I, in contrast to you, have probably played more games this, more new games this year than I have at any point since like okay. 2010, you know? But partially it's because um, I had a lot of free time <laughs> on my hands for, for a good part of this year. But also it's really just been... I've gotten into uh, PC gaming this year. Uh, I got a, a new computer that was the first one I've really ever had that's like really, you know, performative and capable as a uh, gaming machine. And it's really uh, opened up a lot of things for me. I've been playing a lot of stuff on the Dolphin emulator. Um, I actually played through in its entirety Star Fox Adventures a couple weeks back. Oh, how was that? Ah, it's a weird game. I don't hate it. I think it's got some interesting ideas, but it also feels like a Zelda game designed with the level of hostility towards the player that you really only get from developers that started out doing British microcomputer games. It's an interesting game, and it's one that I am actually very glad that I, I played through completely. I also get why I didn't get very far in that game back in the day. But I've also played a bunch of, like, legitimately new stuff this year. I just recently started playing through Umarangi Generation, uh, which, um, do, you, do you know about this game? I do not. It's really cool. It is also actually kind of a cyberpunk game. It is a photography sim. It, it looks it looks and sounds almost exactly like a Dreamcast game, like almost like a, a Jet Set Radio sort of thing, you know? Uh, and you are a photographer, like a freelance photographer, and all the levels are these, these individual small, intricately designed locations in uh, kind of a, a decrepit post-industrial police state, I guess. Um, and you are given bounties to, to take 
uh, take pictures of specific things in those in, in that environment. And sometimes that can involve using a particular lens or looking at something in a particular way. And it's all just, it's very clever, very neat sort of puzzly gameplay. And over time, it reveals a really interesting story entirely through like environmental details that uh, I don't want to spoil, but it's it's really, really cool. So that's, that's a really awesome new game that I've been playing this year. Uh, I mean, I've been playing so many things from like the last few years and, and it's, it's honestly been kind of hard to keep track. I keep forgetting that I played through some games that I, I actually did. I finally bothered to sit down and play the Platinum Games third person shooter Vanquish this year, mm. which had been on my list for a long time. Probably one of my biggest games for the year, uh, a game that I was sort of excited about, but a little bit sort of cautious about, but that ended up being just hugely uh, impressive and satisfying to me was the Final Fantasy VII remake. As far as like new sort of like high budget AAA games go, that's really the one for me this year that really felt like it justified its uh, it being on the the scale of game that it was. I think a pretty good, pretty sort of diverse year in games. Honestly, I'm still you know not really that excited about the new consoles but but you know part of that is also because i now have a computer that is basically equivalent to one you've joined the pc master race i pretty much have i spent all of yesterday modding grand theft auto 4 okay uh that's not a joke you know and um it was it was actually fun it was actually a very satisfying time yeah like i said i other than like animal crossing i really haven't played a lot of anything this year uh Played the crap out of Animal Crossing, though. Yeah, so so did I, actually. I didn't mention that, but yeah, super, super big into Animal Crossing this year. Yeah, and it, you know, like, Animal Crossing has kind of been the perfect game for this year, for me anyway. Just yeah. having this little <laughs> island that I can pretty much determine everything that happens on it. I've got complete control over this place. And, it, you know, in a time when I've got even less control over my life than I normally have, you know, uh-huh. yeah, it's been a fun thing to have and a, and a really fun thing to just kind of dive into and, and a bright spot that I have really needed this year. And that's first Animal Crossing game I've ever played. Other than that, you know, I, I there hasn't been a lot. I was working early this year on a list of my favorite games from 2019, none of which I had played. And, you know, it kind of got me thinking Mm -hmm. about my relationship with games and how I consume a lot of games these days. It's really like, you know, except for the games that I play for this podcast, I don't play a whole lot of games anymore. Mm -hmm. So but but I do still follow the industry and kind of see what's going on. Although even that I've I've done less of this year. I realized that there were a lot of games that I enjoyed either like watching long plays of or just watching people, you know, kind of go through on YouTube and I kind of felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to make a, a list about that. My top 10 games that I didn't play, but was, you know, really fascinated by and interacted with in some way. So I was polishing up that list and I was planning on trying to publish it as a blog to the Honest Piranha site. But then the pandemic happened in March, just as I was kind of putting the spit shine on it, which, yeah, I know is a little bit late to be releasing a best of 2019 anyway but (laughs) my list had two games that involved pandemics and i felt i did not want to keep refining that article any further and also i felt like nobody would want to read it at that point but yeah fair uh pathologic 2 was number one on that list for me because i was watching someone else play it um and i thought it was a really fascinating game and then um 
H Bomber guy did a great, I think, nearly two hour long video about the original Pathologic. But yeah, it was that and uh, Innocence of Plague Tale was the other one. Ah, uh, yeah. Which uh, was it was an interesting horror game. It was, you know, like different from a lot of horror game stuff that had come out recently. Though, to be fair, the Resident Evil 2 remake might have been on that list, too. I don't even remember now. That's kind of a pandemic game, too. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, less pandemic-y was a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan game. Like, it was a brawler uh, in the vein of the old Super Nintendo games that just had a ton of characters in it that I thought was a lot of fun. It looked a lot of fun. That one I, I did plan on playing, but I just haven't gotten around to it. And yeah, but this year, I, I don't even have that, really. Uh, the only game other than Animal Crossing that I've really engaged with this year, didn't come out this year, is a fighting game called Fantasy Strike, which I've been watching some of that be played online. It's a really interesting fighting game done by uh, Serlin Games, which is a, a studio headed by David Serlin. He's the guy who also did Chess 2, which I thought was a really fascinating project. Yeah, I've played um, a little bit of Yomi, which is the card game version of essentially what the the rule set that fantasy strike is built on yeah and uh it is really cool and really fascinating to see somebody be able to break down the mechanics of a fighting game into something that essentially works as like a turn-based card game yep it's it's really neat and yeah that's that's pretty much all for me for this year uh did you have anything else or uh you know not really i honestly come out of this year feeling less excited about like kind of the triple a games industry than i've probably ever been but uh much more excited about video games as a whole uh yeah i will definitely still be following like you know indie games and things like that smaller projects that that i think are interesting you know i, I definitely want to keep up on on that still but in any case um we still have uh, one more story well actually two more stories to get to uh we're gonna get to those right now because uh last but not least by any stretch segment is uh, Mystic and Safi from the Lore Together podcast. So take it away, Mystic and Safi. Hi, I'm Safi. And I'm Mystic. And we're Lore Together. We're a husband and wife team that talk about all the characters, world building, and stories in video games because it's what we like to do together. We Lore Together. And like all of our actual standalone episodes you can hear our buddy in the background here yeah so we want to thank snescapades for inviting us on to talk about our video game christmas stories and help to celebrate this fantastic magical time of the year which is why our child is here with us because we are teaching him about the magic of video games during christmas right little buddy yeah he says yes so (laughs) do you want to go first mystic sure i'll go first yeah so, my video game history is closely tied to Christmas a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, first Christmas I got a console, it was an NES. Next one I had was Genesis. Then, the beginning of the end for me for video game consoles, according to my parents. Uh-oh. We were going to Target. Mm-hmm. Many, many a magical time happens at Target. And there was a contest to win a Nintendo 64 Ooh. And I filled it out. Okay. And put it in a big box that was with about five pounds of other slips of paper. Right. So it's, for you, it's like a shot in the dark. You, you really honestly, it's, you might as well cast Magic Missile to the darkness at that point. Right. And then about two weeks before Christmas, we get, a, we get home 
and we get to our answering machine, which at the time was the old cassette tape answering machine. Oh my gosh, I don't even think we had one of those. We didn't, we waited. <laughs> With the mini cassette. Oh. This is, I'm dating myself here. Right, right. We're old, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the most monotone store clerk, which I don't blame it at all. Mm-hmm. You're working Target during the holiday season. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it just, uh, this is calling for Mystic. Uh, to come to our Target at blah, blah, blah. I forget which Target it was even. It was somewhere in the Chicagoland area. Yeah. To uh, pick up your prize because you have won the Nintendo 64. And I, I kind of pulled the Nintendo 64 kid. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did It's too bad you didn't have a little sister to go, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now for the annoying part to it all. I did lo- I got this. My friends came over, we played it and stuff. The, uh-huh. I didn't, I couldn't unwrap it until Christmas, obviously. My friends came over the day after. Yeah, that's when it happens. And we were playing it. Now, it didn't come with Mario 64. <gasps> no. It came with Star Fox 64, and Ooh. I had no idea what Star Fox was. I knew who Mario was. Oh, so you didn't get the references. Okay. I didn't, I had no idea. I had known of Star Fox because my cousins had had Super Nintendo, and I yeah. had seen it, but I had no idea what it was. Right. Right. So we sat there playing Star Fox 64's multiplayer mode. Wow. I forgot for, about that. Yeah. Well, first we did the training about a dozen times each because none of us had ever even really seen a 64. Like, we had known it existed, but none of us owned one yet. I was the first one to own it of the group. Wow. Interesting. And so we sat there playing it over and over, the training level for Star Fox, and then we started playing the multiplayer, which I miss split-screen multiplayer. <laughs> that is That was a fun time, though we do have some friends who are some horrid screen watchers, but... Well, I'm one. Yeah, I wasn't going to call you out, but there it is. And it only works in the game. So there's a game called Screen Cheat, I believe it's called, that I've played with friends where you have no idea where anybody is because everyone's invisible. Oh, yeah. You've told me about this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the only way you can figure out people are is by watching their screens because the levels are designed with so much color changing geometry and like... Yeah, I was talking geometry. about the yeah. actual cheating, cheating part. Oh, no. I... Did it? That's why I got the game as a as a fun thing, and oh. everybody hated it, including me. Right. Because as much as I say I screen cheat, I don't screen cheat that much. Like it's really hard to actually cheat that much. Well, because you have to watch where your screen is going and also see where the other person yeah. is. It's much easier just watch your own screen to be perfectly honest. So. But also, I found memories of staying up late playing Super Mario sixty four and stuff. Once I did get it. The yeah. following Christmas. Right. Oh, yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. What's your holiday thing? So you have to go back to, I believe this would have been the winter of, it's got to be the winter of 2006. Anyway, so back when I was a college kid, I'd gone to college out east and the summer between freshman and sophomore year, I'd secured a job at GameStop. I had a pretty decent manager. <laughs> um, by the way, hi, Mike. You were awesome. You <laughs> don't know who I am. But I had a pretty decent manager, and I had a pretty decent summer, you know, being the one of the two girls that worked at the GameStop. Uh, you don't know anything about games, do you? It was more like people trying to hit on me while they were oh. applying for a job, which then <laughs> meant that they immediately were not hired. So trying to flex their gaming knowledge is incorrect. Yeah. So when I came back for winter break my sophomore year, I asked if I could get 
a job back because, of course, you're going to have the Christmas rush. And they were like, sure. But my my old manager had left and I had a new manager who was basically his strategy was empty promises. And I'd mentioned at that time the Wii was coming out and everyone was very excited for it and was trying to get it for Christmas. And I said, can I can I get a Wii if I work here? And he goes, oh, yeah, sure, you can do it. The one day I was there for a Wii shipment, the assistant manager said, there's no way I can give this to you. These people have been out in line for hours and they actually have been really polite and they've saved numbers. So I was I was heartbroken, but at the same time, I understood that ethically it, it made sense that I was not going to get my Wii through GameStop. Mm-hmm. And P.S., like a GameStop at that time would only get three consoles, three new consoles per shipment. So you'd have seven parents waiting in line in the cold Chicagoland morning, waiting to... And usually it's still wet. It's like not right until right before Christmas that you potentially get snow. Mm-hmm. So it's a wet, humid morning. And they're waiting... Where you still feel cold and disgusting. Yeah. And you're waiting in line. It's humid. It's cold. It's muggy. And you're waiting in line with six other parents and only the first three get him. And they didn't know until we gave away all three and sold all three. Because, of course, you have to wait because what if somebody's credit card doesn't work or something? Or what if, you know, the store managed because gets six or seven in? Or, yeah. 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 You've been told you got three and suddenly you got five. Yeah. that's a, That could have happened, too. So I thought that basically I wasn't going to get a Wii. And, and actually, at this point, obviously, I knew what the deal was with Santa Claus. So... Uh, and kids, if you don't know, ask your parents. Um, so I asked my mom, I said, Hey, if, if I pay for part of it, can it be like a family present to ourselves? So I was going to pay half and she was going to pay the other half. So I'm sitting there one evening hanging out with the assist, the new assistant manager. Cause the old one was tired of working with the, I say yes to everybody manager, which mm-hmm. if you ever had a manager like that, that's nightmare. There I was just hanging out. And some random dude comes in. He goes, yeah, I just got a Wii from Best Buy. They had seven when I left. And I freak out. (laughs) I say, can I call my mom? And it's like, sure. So I call my mom on the GameStop store phone. I say, mom, I heard the Best Buy has seven Wiis. And and we knew where this Best Buy was. And so she she calls before she goes. And she, she goes... And then it gets to be about closing time. Around 9.20, my mom picks me up from the GameStop because it's dark. She didn't want me to walk home. I get in the car. I look in the back. And there it was. And I scream. And my mom's like, stop being so loud. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's going to think we're abducting you. She explains. She called the Best Buy. By the time she called the Best Buy before she got in the car, which is a minivan, it was five left. She drove with that Hemi engine in that van. (laughs) She gets there. By the time she picked it up, she got one of the last two at the Best Buy. It was insane. And so we got it. And and you know what? To be honest, the person who played that Wii the most was my mom because she loved Wii Sports. <laughs> but it was totally it was totally awesome. We we played it for a long time. I think um, I think there was a Kirby game I ended up playing. I'm trying to remember everything I played on there. Yeah, there was a Kirby game. I'm trying to what else came out on release, because I also am thinking of stuff I got later, like there was the House of the Dead. Was it Kirby's remake. Epic Yarn, or was that in a different one? I think you might be right. Yeah. yeah. So there was like, but, you know, and of course there were Mario parties. It was just, it was, it was mm-hmm. fantastic. And now my mother is a convert, because she has the Switch at her house. And we don't. I know. I know. Scandal. But we, but we have a little one that takes more money. <laughs> we'll have to hope that Santa gives us a Switch then, right, buddy? <laughs> 
Right, buddy? He opened his mouth as if he was going to talk. But now instead, he's just going to manipulate the microphone. Anyway, so that's our stories about um, our console stories, I guess, for mm-hmm. Christmas. So thanks for listening. Thank you for inviting us on. Yes, Love thank your you. show. Um, I definitely have to go back and listen to all the episodes where you go through all of the old Nintendo Power magazines. Oh. Yeah, Mystic, I forgot to tell you that. Do that because I've, right, I've, yeah. I got their most recent one, which was, I think, March of 93, and I was really intrigued. So. I'll have to listen to those. Yeah. We're, we're going to invite you all to listen to Lore Together, which literally anywhere you listen to a podcast, look up Lore Together, and we like to talk about, again, characters, world building, storylines, and all that kind of stuff. Not just Nintendo, but a bunch of other series, yeah. indie and AAA, whatever it is. And Everything we, from indie to AAA. Yeah, and Mystic does some fantastic research. So we hope to see you there. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mystic and Safi, for those stories. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I, story I can relate to a little bit. I actually worked at GameStop as well around the time that the Wii came out. So it, it's kind of funny. I actually got a Wii from that GameStop, but it was before I started working there because I, I knew the manager who was working there pretty well. My friend and I were regulars, and he was really big on trying to, to the best visibility, sell the Wiis to people who were not just going to sell them on eBay. And he was fairly confident that the two of us were not going to do that. And we didn't. We, we actually wanted the consoles to play. So he had actually saved us two of them um, you know, and, and said, you know, okay, he actually <laughs> called us and just said, hey, do not come and get in line today. I'm going to save you one, uh, but I, we need to keep this on the download. Do not come here. Wow, that's actually really cool. We managed to get one that way. And then I ended up working at that GameStop later because basically what he did, uh, as well as, you know, ensure that we were able to buy Wii's, was that he let us kind of come on as holiday hires, but didn't really have the hours for us or didn't think he was going to have the hours for us, but that we would have, you know, the benefits of being employees there, like an employee discount and whatnot, because, you know, holiday time, they could just pretty much sign up whoever and be an employee. But there were some things happening. There was a mass exodus about to happen at that GameStop and everybody was about to leave. So the few people who were kind of there at the transition between the old guard and the new guard were kind of desperate for people to come on. So I was like, well, I, I'm technically an employee here. I'd be happy to to come to work. So they were like, okay, you're on. That's really funny. Wow. So then I, yeah, I stayed on as the new guard came in and they all liked me. So I just ended up staying there for about three years. Um, not the most fun job I've ever had, but I, I did get to work with a good group of people, even if it was for a bad company. GameStop's a straight up bad company. They're a trash company. It, it, it They are. Yes. But, uh, I mean, a lot of good people work for GameStop, uh, and uh, it's it's too bad that company uh, sucks out loud. You know, and it's a shame that the people who are probably going to suffer from 
that company inevitably going out of business here in the next couple of years are the good people on the on the ground floor and not the people who made that company awful. Uh, yeah, shout out to anybody who works at a GameStop right now who is spending all day dealing with people angrily trying to return Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> no kidding. Oh my goodness. I'm very, very sorry for you. <laughs> You're in my thoughts. Uh, and also um, winning a contest for an N64, like it sounds like just a drawing at Target. That's pretty cool, too. That's very cool. And hey, Star Fox 64 is a really good game to get with your N64. Yeah, I didn't win a whole lot of contests like that. The only one I can think of was, uh, again, Nintendo Power. I think I mailed in a Mario Kart circuit time and won a phone card. Okay, not the worst. That's that's something. Wish I still had that phone card, actually. It had, you know, like Mario and Luigi on it. It would have been a, a fun little collector's piece to still have. I should have hung on to it. But, yeah. This has been really fun, though. I, I've loved hearing all the stories from the folks who contributed and... Uh, it's been really fun just kind of looking back at some some good memories that are, you know, in some cases a little bit outside the scope of what we usually get to talk about on the show. As rough as this year has genuinely been for, for all of us, you know, I mean, I know that, you know, we were lucky to not be as affected by the the year's, you know, turmoils as, as, you know, a lot of people have been, but it hasn't been an easy year. Getting to do this podcast has been one of the the best things about the year for me. And uh, I'm really excited to continue on into 2021 and to look forward to uh, everything that we are going to do with the show in, in 2021. And um, hopefully everything else gets better, too. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'll say actually all things considered, this was actually a pretty good year for me. I finally got a job that is kind of working for me. It's not quite the the web development stuff that I was hoping I'd be doing, but it's close enough and the hours are such that I can easily keep doing this podcast. I hope that next year I can keep doing my own web development projects a little bit more. But, you know, here's to the next year. Here's hoping that everybody finds themselves in a better place next year, you know, in, in, a, in a healthier place and, and happier. And let's just all just keep trying to work towards the kind of world that we want to live in. Things have not been great, but a better world is still possible. Thank you, everybody, for participating. Uh, Chris, Trevor, Derek, Mystic and Safi, Kami Jace, Greg, thank you all so much. Um, your stories have just been so much fun to listen to. Um, and, and I can't thank you all enough for participating. And please go listen to those podcasts. They are good shows and uh, we are we are, you know, happy to spread the love for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I will try to remember to put everybody's Twitter handles in the description for this so you can follow them and find them on their podcast platforms of choice. They're probably all pretty much everywhere. We're pretty much everywhere. You can find us anywhere podcasts are listened to. And you can follow me on Twitter at Snescapades or on Instagram at Snescapades. That's another uh, thing I need to work on for next year is updating the Instagram on a regular basis because Instagram is a lot more fun to be on anyway than Twitter is most of the time. Ooh, yeah, that's true. But anyways, folks, to everybody out there listening, happy holidays. Uh, and again, we hope that you all find yourselves in a good place as we go into 2021. We are going to be taking a break. Our next episode will be the first Monday in next uh, January. So we'll see you in 2021. 
Nope, actually we are coming back the second Monday of January because I realized after we recorded this that if we came back the first Monday of January, we actually wouldn't get a break because the way we do this, we'd have to record the very next weekend. So we're, we're actually taking a break and we'll be back the second Monday of January 2021. Until then, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud.